0: We're back in the home office in Brea, internet, we're out of the master bedroom, which uh, just personally, thank goodness, th- personally is, uh, it's, it's uh, helpful for me to focus. Um, and uh, welcome internet. Hello, everybody, Mike and Andy here, or, uh, or as as we call it, and Ike. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Andy, I've got some, um, I-, I see this thing going around on Twitter, which is like your favorite movies. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you name your top seven or something, oh, right? Oh, sure. Okay. Right. All right, yeah. quick, go. Oh, top seven movies? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Trilogy's kind of as one. Go.
1: Um, Hi- the, Happy hipster, Gilmore. the Hipster Part 1. Happy Gilmore. The Hipster Part 2. Mighty Ducks. Oh, Trilogy. Boy. Oh, wow. Naturally. Actually, is there a fourth? I can't remember. I don't know. Um, Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind. Okay. Um, oh, man. Rad. <laughs> oh yeah any 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 movie relevant to that gets me going that was a, re- I, I, that a, was real a really slow i i that's I, a real movie you, you got me here i'm I I know st- i'm sticking in the mud yeah you are but those first three knee-jerk was it like okay yeah mighty ducks help you go all right and eternal sunshine those all come to mind really quick
0: okay mm-hmm. that's uh quite the diversity of awfulness mm-hmm. um <laughs> All right, I was just curious. In yours? Just curious. Um, I'm a big fan of Notting Hill and uh, Pride and Prejudice. Okay. And Sense and Sensibility. Yeah, music and and lyrics. And Dumb and Dumber. (laughs) And I'm just... Um, No, I would say um, Gladiator, Braveheart, uh, First Matrix, Star Wars, Original Trilogy, Indiana Jones Trilogy, Lord of the Rings. Yeah. I mean... Jurassic Park? Uh, no, I live. I live that one. <laughs> I don't. I don't need to see that one. Um, Shawshank Redemption, probably. Yeah, Throw that in there. That's good. Uh-huh. Um, but the big news. I mean, that was just kind of an intro, just to see. I, I wanted people to see why you're not the host of the podcast. Yeah. Um, but the big news is that we, our podcast territory is is being invaded. Mm-hmm. So the. So I didn't think anybody. Or anything could knock Joel Olstein out of the top place in the iTunes podcast list. Yeah. So they list the 200 most popular, uh-huh. and, and and there are a bunch of categories. The big one is religion and spirituality, and um, and then uh, there's sub branches like Christianity and Buddhism and whatever else. Right. But the uh, the number one, it made it quite a splash. The number one new entry, knocking Vox. Out of the 137th spot, <laughs> wherever, Whatever. wherever. I don't even think we've hit it this week, but the, but, um, is it's called ha- Harry Potter and the sacred text. All right. Now listen to this description. This is absolutely brilliant. And, and it's, and it's absolutely, I mean, it's knocked Olstein out. It's knocked. Rick Warren. Uh, uh Mo- well, War- I've never seen Warren in the number one of uh, Joyce, oh, sure. Joyce Meyer. Joyce Meyer gets up. She there, gets yep. up there. Uh-huh. Um, but but this has been dominant. And so it, it's here's the description. And I think it's so interesting. What if we read the books we love as if they were sacred texts? What would we learn? How might they change us? Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is a podcast reading. Harry Potter, the best-selling series of all time, as if it were a sacred text. Just as Christians read the Bible, Jews, the Torah, Muslims, the Quran. We will embark on a 199-episode journey, one one chapter per episode. Uh, to glean what wisdom and meaning J.K. Rowling's beloved novels have for us today, we'll read Harry Potter, not just as novels, but as instructive and inspirational texts that will teach us about our own lives. How awesome is that? Didn't Joseph Smith have a big what if? Well, well, that's, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's certainly interesting. And, and, and here's what I love. First, I mean, we can learn uh, and, and receive wisdom from any Hmm. Right. And I think Harry Potter, the Harry Potter series is just outstanding. Um, It it very much is uh, it presents virtue ethics and and character formation in uh, really compelling ways. Yeah. But it, it raises an interesting question. Why couldn't you? Who's to say what a sacred text is? Right. Yeah. I, I mean, it's like Avatar, you know, there, it, it, after the movie Avatar came out years ago, there was this kind of burgeoning sort of worldview religion based on some of the right. things. I mean, well, why, yeah. why why, why, the heck not? Why, why wouldn't you um, in, in a world like ours where meaning is just you bring it to a text that's never found in a text? Why wouldn't you do it? It makes total sense that religion and spirituality—the top podcast—is reading Harry Potter as if it were sacred. <laughs> and the interesting thing is, well, what does it mean for it to be sacred? Uh, what does that mean? If, if is it does that mean we deem it sacred? Right. Is there like a year limit? Like
1: you know, it has to be X amount of years old. Like, oh, I mean, is that oh, even oh, relevant? So I don't know. I don't know, but I mean, like a legend is defined specifically by its age, right?
0: Yes, yeah. in which case you would be a legend um, <laughs> as you hit your mid 40s. Yeah. And so very excited about that. Um, <laughs> no, I don't know. I mean, I, I thought I, I just thought it was interesting. And it raises a question. Well, why wouldn't you read? So why wouldn't you read the Bible the same way you'd read Harry Potter? What, what difference is there? Hmm between reading the Bible for inspiration and reading the Harry Potter series for inspiration, other other than the Harry Potter c- series is much more well-written. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, if, it's much more entertaining. I mean, Harry Potter versus the book of Leviticus, you know? Mm. Um, and so so that was just, I thought that was so fascinating because, um, uh, whoa, my microphone just jumped out at me. Uh, you moved your bag. Um yeah uh, it's interesting i always get the worst microphone stand and and andy gets the better one it's and been that, the and same it, once it, as day one it's and like. <laughs> and so i don't know man i just don't know this whole thing you are so sketchy we just need contributions so we could step up oh really that's where we're bit. going with yeah. this nice <laughs> nice Planned. yes you need to clothe us because i'm in i'm tired of being in my boxer shorts no, I just thought it was such an interesting. Why, why, why would you read the Bible any differently than Harry Potter, and why would why would you read the Harry Potter any differently than the Bible? I mean, if 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 we can just determine what sacred texts are, then why not, right? If it's sacred to us, it's sacred, correct? Um, and uh, and so so that could be that could be fodder. I'm gonna actually I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to a couple episodes. One is white privilege. Um, <laughs> betrayal the midnight duel promises the potions master vulnerability the sorting hat but evidently they're they're doing a great job because this thing is like just jumped uh but i but i really thought hey that's a very interesting thing and it it throws into question because because my 13 year old son nate so nate now be you know doing whatever we're doing and i'll be like hey nate so so what happens if uh you come across somebody who doesn't you know believe the bible what do you and And they say the Bible's made up. What do you say? And he says, "I don't know. the Bible says it's the Word of God, so it's the Word of God and I'm like well but but there are lots of other things that say to be the Word of God too, right? So how do you know there's any difference between them or, or are they all are they all not the Word of God, and they're just meaningful to the communities that receive them as such right and and Big Nate isn't really he's not interested in that as much as he is, you know playing uh nba 2k but i'm trying and so it could be an interesting uh, podcast discussion about the sacred text what does that mean why would the bible ever be considered that because it's kind of it kind of gets a little bit at at some of the stuff God li- godless godless yeah. was raising uh-huh. what does it mean for something to be a sacred text so anyway i just thought i'd throw that out there i'm
1: shocked no one's done this on star wars yet i mean for as long as it's been around oh I mean
0: oh i'm i'm sure uh, you know, I mean, you, you, I remember it happening with the Matrix. Now, I don't. I remember um, th- this was 1999, so you know, it was it was like 50 years ago for, for the millennial crowd. Um, there, there was a There was a century called the 19s that um, existed. <laughs> um, that many of us who hold power now, right? Ex- Isn't
1: that when the depression happened? Yes, like sometime in the. Yes, 90s? there were wars.
0: Um, and, uh, and, uh, anyway, so, so, um, the, the matrix movie came out and then there were all these books about the gospel and the matrix, right. And, and finding Jesus in the matrix and, you know, all this just kind of weird stuff. Um, so, so this has a very long and rich history, but this isn't. What I, what I find interesting about this, it's not saying, hey, let's find stuff from other sacred texts in Harry Potter, which there are, Christians have done that. Hey, here are Christians' allusions in Harry Potter. But this is, let's treat Harry Potter as if it were as sacred as the Bible, the Quran, the, the Torah, the yeah. whatever. So interesting. Anyway, anyway, that has nothing to do with godless part deux. And, um, and we've not heard back from Godless. He's, he's licking his wounds. He's, he's repenting deeply in, in the, the wilderness of Ireland. Uh, he's come face to face with the airtight uh, arguments mm. that were presented in the part pa- one. The, the patience of the
1: Spirit has come upon him. Yes. He is, uh, yeah. he is restfully considering his reply. Yeah,
0: not so much. <laughs> um, he's probably just uh, probably got other stuff, stuff to do. But this is part two. And uh, like we said, we um, we want to respond to Godless, and uh, because he asked some some really great questions and there, and 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 even the answers that we'll give will raise more questions, and you could do this forever. But like we said last time, that there's something to be said for uh, both sides being able to respectfully consider the possibility they're wrong, uh, for both sides to to engage each other thoughtfully, kindly, you know, passionately. There's something to be said uh, for uh, as as the Bible it, it exhorts believers to give an answer for the hope that you have, but to do so with gentleness and respect. And, uh, and so this has been fun. It's been fun to go back and listen to that podcast where he was very gracious and very kind in sharing um, some of his story. And, uh, and so anyway, this is part two. If you remember, you remember he, and I actually went back and I, I typed out the things he said, and again, Acknowledge that this isn't fair. He's not in the room, um, and he was speaking off the cuff. We're going back now and typing words he said up, and so so he's at a complete disadvantage. Uh, if you're going to look at it in debate terms, which is exactly what we don't want to do, which is what why he's in the room. Where we don't, we're not interested in doing another debate. Those are very entertaining, but not profitable. Yeah. Where we are interesting in just engaging in in dialogue and conversation. So. Um, and we do feel like it's it's worth uh, having a point explored in all of its fullness, rather than just sound bites kind of zipping back and forth. So so Godless, um, so thank you for raising the questions that you raised. And uh, here's some thoughts. Um, you you had said, uh, and I and I thought you know you told your story. And then and then we I'm, I'm ripping these quotes kind of out of the context, but I hope I I don't do them violence in the way that I I use them. Um. You at one point you said there are claims in the Bible about something being a sin that I just don't believe to be a sin, hmm. and that that's actually a, a a pretty um, a pretty common critique. That, that that there was a book written I don't know ten years ago maybe, it was called Searching for a Better God. And the argument of the book was that it wasn't any longer that people had intellectual objections to believing in God. It was they had moral objections to believing in God. That God, believing in God in the Christian sense, actually made you a worse kind of person. So so they, the, the argument was that people today, not you know, generically, of course, um, sit in judgment of God's behavior. Um, and, uh, and so, so, and so that God engages in things that we would find offensive. So the genocide of the old Testament or the teachings about how to find out if your wife committed adultery or not by drinking this and, you know, by putting to death, uh, this kid or, I mean, just all this crazy stuff. Or uh, on the other side, uh, that that some of the moral teaching of the scriptures we find offensive. So it's not just God's teachings, but God's character mm-hmm. uh, that are called into judgment by something like that. So that's a that's 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 worth a uh, a very lengthy reply. And, and then you also said, and I thought this was I thought this was the most interesting uh, thing you said. I I I think that Jesus failed at communicating what he communicated. If we're right in the sense that if, if we take the, the New Testament kind of as sacred, um, then how in the world has it been so misunderstood, abused, whatever? I mean, isn't it that on Jesus, um, our, isn't our confusion directly traced back to Jesus? And, and you say this, you said the Sermon on the Mount, so much of this I don't think is true. You shouldn't act this way in real life. And then you say, let's assume these are Jesus's words. And, and that's a big debate, you know, in and of itself. Do you agree with all that is said there? Do you think what is said there is right? The Sermon on the Mount is not morally correct. And one of the examples you give is that when Jesus says, I, I'm here to fulfill the Old, T, not, the Old Testament, not to abolish it. This is the failure. If Jesus doesn't believe the Old Testament is true, then he never gives any indication or clarification of how we should understand it. And so the summary, uh, uh, here's how I hear his argument. Um, because our response, and we said this last podcast, our responses to anything in the Old Testament, well, one of our responses, it's not the only, one of our responses is, well, listen, the pictures given of God in the Old Testament are by definition, according to the Bible itself, imp- they're, they're partial and they're incomplete. Jesus is the only full picture we get. In the, in, in the book of Hebrews, he is the exact Jesus is the exact representation, the hypostasis of God's character, meaning the very essence of what God is like. So the God revealed in Jesus is the God of the cross, the God that that humbles himself, the God who serves and washes feet. I mean, that's the God that's revealed in Jesus. So the natural question is: well, okay, that seems a lot different than the vengeance and the wrath, and the Old Testament of striking people down, and here's a plague, and you know, da 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 da
1: Heavy metal God.
0: The, yes, <laughs> the heavy metal God, exactly. So so, there, so, so his point is, he would call, I think, into question, my allegiance to Jesus, if that Jesus does not correct the Old Testament, but instead says he's come to fulfill it. All right, so so the idea is if if Jesus validates the Old Testament, well then and the Old Testament is immoral or amoral, then Jesus is amoral or moral too. Make sense. Yeah. So that's I, I think that's kind of getting at the argument, and then and then he referenced um, Iron Chariots Wiki, uh, which I read, uh, which is a critique of the Sermon on the Mount in the King James, and um, uh, and, and and so I think both in Godless's critique. And in the Iron Chariot's wiki, there is a fundamental misunderstanding, and we made this point last time, of what it is to for Jesus to be Jewish and to be teaching in a Jewish context. That I don't think it was a failure of communication. I think his contemporaries understood him completely and utterly uh, in terms of what he, what he was saying. And that's part of the reason why the religious leaders conspired against him. So the case, part of the answer I want to give is, on this exact point, is that Jesus actually does bring some clarification to the Old Testament. And he does this in interesting ways that I think sort of takes some of the sting out of Godless's um, accusation, and I think totally, not totally, but for the most part, refute this iron wiki, iron chariots wiki thing, if you go and you look at that. Um, and so, so what I want to do is this one's. This one's pretty theological. Some some of our podcasts are, um, I don't know, they're they're what are they more topical? They're they're S-
1: general in the popular conversation.
0: Yes, general in the popular conversation. Um, others of them are are. Th- theology and so uh, we've done some on this guy is called suffering and so that's those have been pretty theological this one's going to be pretty theological too because what i what i what i what i feel like i need to do is to say this is what Jesus is doing in his Jewish context. And if we're going to be offended at him or sit in judgment of Jesus's teaching here, let's make sure we're hearing it correctly first. And and, and godless may hear what we're about to say and go, okay, well, that doesn't really change the fact that X, Y, and Z, you know, uh, the God of the Old Testament is still crazy and, you know, blah, 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 blah. But I at least want to get the right Jesus Um, it it understood in his Jewish context to be the one we're critiquing and not necessarily the Christianized Greek versions Mm -hmm. of Jesus that are so common and presented today. Make Mm -hmm. sense? Oh yeah. So, so the sermon on the Mount is the name given to iron chariot says it's this nonsense and mishmash of teaching in the book of Matthew. I think it is, it is brilliant and it is totally tied together Um, and, uh, it's, it's Matthew five, six, and seven. And it represents some of Jesus's, uh, most famous teaching and most profound teaching. And, uh, and so to get into it, um, the relevant section is in Matthew five, uh, verse 17. Now this is where it gets thick, but this is so important, Andy Bear. Uh, do not. So Jesus says this, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now this is Godless's, this is Godless' like, why didn't Jesus correct the Old Testament, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he's saying he's come to fulfill it. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Alright. Now, how can you possibly misunderstand that? Does it is it that is it Jesus so clearly saying he's validating everything in the old testament? Yeah. And in one sense, that that's exactly what he's saying, but but notice the nuance, hence, hence the deep theology that begins now. The words abolish and fulfill. All right were technical rabbinical terms. Jesus was a rabbi. Now, formal rabbis, like reverends or rabbis today in synagogues, like undergoing a process of ordination, formal rabbis... Uh, really weren't in play until the end of the first century hmm. uh, after the destruction of jerusalem um, th- about 20 years later a group of very famous rabbis gathered together and began to sort out how judaism would live and survive without jerusalem and without its temple hmm. that's when rabbi became a a, a proper term but prior to that it was used uh, in a term of respect as you could also translate it master or sir mm-hmm. and it was used um, as a uh, as a way to describe a respected teacher now one of the ways respected teachers dialogued with each other and jesus there were very clear by in jesus's day ways of interpreting the Old Testament text, dialoguing about the Old Testament text, and so one of the one of the ways uh, to talk about the text was in terms of abolishing it or fulfilling it. To fulfill the text meant to show its true intention. Okay, it's to show the heart of it. to To interpret it rightly is what to fulfill meant. To abolish it meant to interpret it wrongly, or to not obey it. Okay, so let me let me uh, abolish um, was uh, was used in rabbinical discussions as a term for violating a commandment or misinterpreting a text. Fulfill means to preserve the text or sustain the text through proper interpretation. So what Jesus what Jesus isn't doing is he's not coming and saying, "Hey, uh, I've come to fulfill" in the sense that 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 godless is intimating which is i'm validating everything that's happened Mm -hmm. and how it's currently being practiced what he's doing instead is i've come to show you the true um eternal nature of god's heart behind it okay here's the proper here's the way it should look when it's worked out and taught Mm -hmm. all right okay oh no this is a big deal so so when when you use abolish and fulfill together so Jesus is, is, is his saying that he is engaging in rabbinic debate against unnamed um, and unmentioned opponents. So he's having to defend himself and his interpretation because he was accused of undermining the law right, all, over right, the all over the place. See, that's the yeah. thing that's so interesting, right. is that Jesus, Jesus never got accused of doing what Godless says Jesus did. The failure of communication was against the religious leaders who were accusing Jesus of undermining the law Hmm. and undermining their tradition. And so Jesus here has to say this at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus saying, I am now, I'm not only aware of what's being said, but let me clarify. I've not come to abolish or to misinterpret the law or to break the commandments. I've actually come to show their true nature to properly interpret them so if a rabbi were misinterpreting the scripture he would be told you are abolishing or uprooting torah and and if a rabbi were teaching scripture well you would be told the rabbi was upholding or fulfilling torah mm-hmm. make sense mm-hmm. so what jesus is doing isn't just providing a rubber stamp on everything that happened in the old testament he's actually showing the true intent of what the law was intended to look like. Yeah. Properly done in Israel. Right, right. Oh, my goodness. Now, that's a whole different thing. Yeah. Because what
1: we've and you've talked about this, like ongoing through so many different things, the Pharisees were were applying what was a belief. But the application of that belief was wrong because ultimately we're saying like that certain laws were true of what God said, but how they were carried out and how they were held became The compromising issue
0: so 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 jesus and he would do this with the church today jesus saw that the whole thing had been corrupted Mm -hmm. now there was a core and then he says that's the law itself now the law is the first five books of torah it's not the historical books Mm. okay uh where the genocide and and those sorts of things he says the law and the prophets and um and and then he says he talks about the law not the least stroke of the law will disappear. So he was... Oh, that's the, really important. It, it is important. Yeah, yeah. And so so now now there are responses to that, but let, let just that general sort of oversimplified point stand just so I can keep going. Mm-hmm. So so Jesus is saying the Torah, the law of God, will never cease to exist because the law is the expression of God's character. The law, uh, according to New Testament teaching, was actually progressive for its time. And it was... Never, uh, it was never um, meant to oppress. It was always to push forward uh, culture. Mm. So, culture, uh, if culture was at place B, the laws that were given were at place C and place D. And, And the progressive nature of uh, the Old Testament law is referenced all the time in the New Testament. Hmm.
1: makes sense? Yeah. Is, so is, is so like it's a quick like one shot example like of don't well, eat this because it was dangerous to humanity. Oh, well, I, I mean, mean is just, that kind of stuff?
0: That's like mold um, and and the, 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 the way communicable diseases were done, the way slaves were treated was revolutionary, the way women were treated. Now, we read these, you know, thousands of years removed from the culture and mm-hmm. think they're barbaric. Right. And they were. Yeah. And, and and even and even in the New Testament you have the objection well how come Paul didn't just try to outlaw slavery yeah well what Paul was doing was he was doing two things number one he was revolutionizing slavery by saying to to masters and slaves that relationship is not as important as being brothers and sisters now in Christ mm-hmm. so masters treat your slaves in a revolutionary way um, slaves respect your masters as you would Jesus and he would encourage slaves to get their freedom as he does with onesimus and philemon Mm -hmm. but he was planting the seeds for the eventual overthrow of slavery altogether Mm -hmm. so what god seems to do is god incarnates himself in culture not just in jesus but the whole way through so he will take culture where it is and invite it forward he won't overturn it by force. He won't coerce it. He won't manipulate it, but he will always invite it forward. So you see that in Jesus, but you also see that in the Ten Commandments, and you see that in the 613 commandments of the Torah, the law. So what Jesus is saying, and this is this is how, how we can go back and see some of the Old Testament commandments and go, man, those things look so jacked up, mm-hmm. at correct. They do to 21st century American Western Christians.
1: That's that's at like point Y now. Right. If that's at point B. B.
0: Correct. When When you read historical accounts for how slaves were treated at the time or how women were treated at the time, it seems like there's this inching forward. There's this cooperating with. There's this incarnating into culture in a way that plants the seeds for revolution, but also... Um, works within the existing structures as they are. Now you can say, "Well, that's just idi- idiocy." I mean, God should should have you just know, wiped
1: the whole thing out, wiped and the just... whole
0: thing out, and, and started over, right. which is what he did with the fall, uh, with the flood. Excuse right. me, and then we complain about that. So yeah, you know whatever. So <laughs> he tried that. <laughs> so all that is to say, so Jesus starts by saying, "I've come to reveal the true heart of the law." Not all of the way it's been misapplied, not all of the way it's been misinterpreted. He's not validating any of that. What he's saying is, I've come to reveal its true nature. Now, he's going to go after the most religious, the most righteous, the most authoritative teachers of his day called the Pharisees. And, um, and and the Pharisees. So the way that evangelicals think of Billy Graham and Mother Teresa and you know are are kind of like saints um, was the way that that many Jews of the day thought of Pharisees. The Pharisees mm-hmm. were the religious ninjas. They were they were the most zealous for the law. They took the six hundred and thirteen commandments of the Old Testament, and they added hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of commandments called the fences around those 613 commandments. So if the commandment was, and we've talked about this before, if the commandment was yeah. don't touch the desk, they would add a fence that said don't even enter the room where the desk is, Yeah. right? Or don't even enter the house where the desk is. Yeah. So those were fences, the, the Pharisees thought that those fences held the same authority as the law of Moses did. And Jesus is going to really go after them and say, no, it doesn't. The other thing that the Pharisees did is that the Pharisees spent a lot of time debating between how you, um, you arbitrate uh, contradictions between the laws, so but if, you, if you have 613 laws, and then you add hundreds and if not thousands of rules to them, you're going to have contradictions. So if the rule is, man, save life wherever possible, and the rule is don't do any work on the Sabbath, you, you then had to figure out, okay, so if someone's life is in jeopardy on the Sabbath, which is the more important law? So the words they would use are light, and heavy okay? okay so which was the weightier law and which was the lighter law make sense okay so so the lighter law was the law that could be broken in order to keep the heavy one hmm.
1: go ahead i was saying, it's almost like is that where we get that interesting interesting picture of justice being on a scale and uh, like how you could remove something and it would still I wouldn't maybe change i don't know that
0: huh hmm It's interesting hmm maybe harry potter will tell us yeah now, Jesus so Jesus is Jesus is saying listen the law the the law is eternal because it's a reflection of God's character and that he has come to be its its absolute determinative arbiter and revealer, okay? Massively important. Then he says, "Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands, one of the lightest of these commands, um and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. If you set aside the least commands, you're going to be least in my movement, is the idea. Um, but whoever practices and teaches uh, these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, here is the this, this is the part that nobody respects in the Sermon on the Mount. This is the verse that tells you exactly what Jesus is doing for the next two and a half chapters. All right? For I tell you, that unless your rightness before God surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, uh, none of you will see this, excuse me, let me say that again. For unless your rightness before God surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, now listen. That's like me saying you've got to be you've got to be a better person than the Billy Graham. You've got to be a better person than Mother Teresa. If you're not a better person than Billy Graham, you will never enter into the, my kingdom, right? I mean that the the Pharisees were the I mean th- these were like the the elites religiously, mm-hmm. and and so notice what Jesus is doing. First, he says, "I've come to reveal the true heart of the law," but against who and against what? Well, those who teach that you can break the least of the commands. Mm-hmm. So, so so your rightness must surpass that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law or you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. I mean, this oh my lord, this is ridiculous. This is turning this it's it's turning the um the the predominant expression of zealous Judaism up on its head. It's flipping it upside down. It's just absolutely crazy. So what does Jesus mean when he says this? Now, this is where I don't think Godless um, and the Iron Chariot's wiki appreciate what Jesus is doing now. Now Jesus is going to give six antitheses, okay, using the following form. You have heard it said, but I tell you. Okay, so notice, let me pick one here. Uh, Murder. Uh, you have heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. Okay. Mm-hmm. Th- that's obviously a heavy commandment. Right. Uh, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And anyone who says to a brother or sister, you fool, which is what raqa means is answerable to the court or you idiot expressing contempt. Mm-hmm. Now, now, Iron Chariot's wiki will say, really, really, you've just equated anger and contempt with murder, right? Really? I mean, come on. How immoral is that? I mean, that's literally one of the arguments on the Iron Chariot's wiki. Yeah. No, no, no. That's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus is critiquing the Pharisees who were considered the most righteous in Israel. And and he's saying, nope, the Pharisees have missed it in the following respect. They teach you that you can break the least of the commandments as long as you keep the heavy ones. Mm-hmm. And 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 usually what the Pharisees do is they delineate that the least of the commandments are the inward ones mm-hmm. and and the heaviest commandments are the outward ones. Yeah, right. And Jesus is going to flip that. And and other rabbis do this. Like one rabbi commenting on Leviticus said this, all right? Uh, that that light sins light commands if you if you fail to keep light commands you will end up breaking heavy commands that's mm. what Jesus is saying mm-hmm. so so here's a here's a parallel uh, another rabbi talking about Leviticus he who violates the command love your neighbor as yourself will ultimately violate the command you shall not hate your brother in your heart okay, okay. so the first one love your neighbor as yourself well that seems pretty light but if you don't honor that then pretty soon you'll actually hate your brother in your heart, and you will then break the command, you shall not take vengeance or bear any grudge against your brother or neighbor until in the end, you will come to the shedding of blood. Okay, so it's like this descent. If you don't honor the command to love your uh, brother Mm -hmm. or love your neighbor, neighbor. then you will not honor the command that prohibits hating your neighbor. Mm -hmm. Then you will not Honor the command that prohibits revenge, and ultimately that will lead you to not honor the command to murder. Mm-hmm. All right, or to not murder. Excuse right. me. So it's this really interesting thing that other rabbis were doing. So Jesus, what Jesus is doing is looking at he's, he's looking at the Pharisaic abuse and the way the Pharisees had actually lightened the demands of the law by making it purely external, mm-hmm. as if as if walking around not murdering summarized God's full heart for human human beings yeah right so the fair it's as if I well yeah I didn't murder anybody today well to Jesus that's that's irrelevant next to what God's heart is for humanity which is what to love your neighbor as yourself to not murder uh, is a much lower requirement a much lower bar Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. And so what Jesus is doing is he's showing the true heart of the law by exposing the way the Pharisees had practiced a false form of rightness before God that he says, actually, you have to jettison altogether. Your rightness to his disciples must surpass their rightness. Well, it's going to. Why? Because the rightness of Jesus is internal rightness that works itself out externally. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. another example... Uh, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. That's a heavy commandment. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Yeah. Now, again, Iron Wiki, uh, Iron Chariots is a field day with this. Really? Really? So you're telling me I might as well just go ahead and commit adultery then if I've lusted after a woman in my heart. What? That's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus is engaging in in the the exposing of the Pharisees' false view of, right, view of righteousness by giving examples of the way they've lightened the law by teaching people that the least commands didn't have to be honored. Right. All yep, right. Because
1: you have to imagine the Pharisees are walking around with all their Pharisee buddies, checking out girls, gossiping, well, talking no, no, they, terribly they, of other but people. No, no. But
0: here's the thing. No, no, no. Here's the thing. the The Pharisees. That's not true. The Pharisees made a very public show. Of never looking at a woman. Mm-hmm. In fact, we have records in later rabbinic writings of Pharisees who would walk into walls, so they called them bleeding Pharisees because they would trip over things. They would run into walls because they would so avoid. They would so avoid looking at a woman huh. lustfully. Huh. All right, um, and 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 guess what, Jesus. Guess what, Jesus's point is. Um whether or not you look at a woman is irrelevant to whether or not lust is in your heart.
1: Okay. All right. So that, yeah. Okay. Cause, cause, that, that, yeah that, Cause then he cause says, they were trying so hard
0: to not do that. Yeah. And, the external yeah. part. Right. Yeah. So then Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body be thrown in hell. No, Jesus, this is rabbinic hyperbole right here. This is so common. If we take this as law. This Jesus is not giving law here. Jesus is showing what the true heart of God behind the law is. These are examples of the kind of rightness that far surpasses the Pharisee. To the Pharisee, the Pharisee says, I've not committed adultery. Hmm. To the disciple of Jesus, the disciple of Jesus talks about, I've not lusted. Because where does lust lead? L- adultery never happens in a vacuum. It always starts. Murder never happens in a vacuum. It starts with anger. Where does adultery start? It starts with lust. So Jesus is actually exposing how the Pharisees have cheapened the law, hmm. right? Yeah. So, so when, 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 when um, Godless says, why didn't Jesus correct Well, he is correcting right he he shuts he shuts down the temple he he declares all food clean he reinterprets the law through himself after his resurrection he says the law and the prophets they all testify to me jesus places himself squarely in the middle Mm -hmm. of the entire old testament conversation Mm -hmm. so do i think that jesus um stood in judgment over the old testament yes and no no, in the sense that he uh, he affirms that God's law as a reflection of his character is good. Yes, he stands in judgment over the way that it had been misinterpreted and misapplied. Mm-hmm. And so what Jesus is doing, and he would do this today with Christianity. I mean, had, if he shows up today, he'd do the exact same thing with the people claiming to be his. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. So, so you have this about divorce. You have this about oaths. Um, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't make oaths, right? Because there was this huge, complicated formulas about making an oath and not using the the name of God uh, in order to uh, honor the third commandment. Hmm. The third commandment was don't attach the name of God to anything empty, like a promise or a person. And and so and so they would have they would use instead of God's name they would say by Jerusalem or by the temple, hmm. and those were just. Um, uh, locutions that were a roundabout way of of referring to God. And Jesus said, just dispense with that, man. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. So so what Jesus is doing, these aren't random teachings. He's giving six examples of how Jesus is showing the true heart behind the law. Mm-hmm. And the true heart of the law was that love God and love neighbor is the point. Right. And, and the 613 commandments are just expressions of love God and love neighbor. In fact, the 10 commandments are just expressions. The first four love God. The last six, I think, are love neighbor. Uh, and uh, and so, so what Jesus is doing here is he's radically altering the trajectory of of, of the Judaism of his day remember he comes first to the Jews right and he's not coming to to replace Israel he's coming to renew Israel from the inside. Mm-hmm. So he comes as a Jew to the Jews. Right. And he collects other Jews mm-hmm. <laughs> to form a new nucleus of Israel. So he has 12 apostles. That's the highly symbolic number, of course. So so Jesus is a renewal project. And so so the first part of the Sermon on the Mount, like you've heard it said eye for eye tooth for tooth. Well, that was a that was a command in the Old Testament for crying out loud, two or three places. Now, for the time, it limited revenge. So it was actually revolutionary for its time. And we find that in other codes of ancient Near Eastern cultures. We find it in other moral codes. Because revenge could just go for generations. You you kill my daughter, I kill your family. You kill, Then you kill my clan, and I go after right. your tribe. Yeah. I mean, it would just increase. But notice, he says, But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt... Uh, give them your code as well. Now these, and again, and Godless, if you listen to this, you got to understand what Jesus is doing here is he's teaching active nonviolent resistance. Mm-hmm. Jesus is actually instructing people how to shame the Romans who would do these precise things. Um, and, and again, he's not shaming them for the sake of, um, uh, of punishing them or getting revenge, but what he's doing is, listen, When you are slapped, when you're slapped, when you are slapped on one side of your face, right? The way, and we've talked about this briefly, right? The way a superior would slap an inferior is with the back of his hand. Mm -hmm. The offering, you would only slap an equal, And again, this doesn't make sense to us because we're not honor, shame, status people. But in the ancient Near East, if you were superior and you slapped an inferior, you'd use the back of your hand. you use the the open palm Mm -hmm. to slap uh, an equal. Mm -hmm. So by turning the other cheek, you were were saying that if you're going to hit me again, it has to be as an equal. Or if a Roman soldier, and, and under Roman law, Roman soldiers could do this. They could conscript you to carry their armor, their kit for a mile. So Jesus says, we'll offer to carry it too. Because the heart of God is over and above the minimum requirements. But secondly, you will actually, and this is a proverb, you'll actually be pouring hot coals over their head. Or someone sues you, and they're suing you for your, for your outer garment. Um, give, them, give them, or excuse me, your inner garment. Give them your outer garment too. And, and that, actually, that actually will shame them. Because under the law, you were not allowed to sue uh, for both garments. You could only sue for one. So, I mean, Jesus is doing genius, genius, genius stuff here. But it's all culturally conditioned against the project of the Pharisees. Now, I'm oversimplifying this, Andy. There are a thousand things that I'm going to remember to say. Because the Pharisees weren't the bad guys. That's the point. They were the good guys. And that's why this was so shocking. Mm -hmm. Now, then Jesus does this. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have your reward from your father in heaven. You'll have um, your reward from the father in heaven will just be the fact that you were noticed. All right. So he's again, now he shifted to another big critique of the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees uh, and he critiques them in Matthew, I think it's twenty three or twenty four, um, and and uh, we did this with spiritual abuse in Luke. Remember when Jesus critiques how they would pray in the the marketplaces? They'd have phylacteries that were really long or tassels that were really long. They would they love the choice seats in the synagogue. I mean, so what Jesus is going to do is is he's saying, listen, you have to put on display a rightness before God that surpasses the scribes and the Pharisees, but. Don't practice it like they do to gain the approval of others. Do it in secret. And your father who sees it and see, again, it's a heart thing. It's not an outward thing. Make Mm -hmm. sense? Yeah. So so this, this whole thing goes together. At Iron Chariot's wiki, they're, they're like, oh, well, notice here, this part contradicts the, an earlier part. No, it doesn't. The, Jesus is leveling massive critiques against the practices of the Pharisees. And unless you're aware of the practices of the Pharisees, you're not going to be aware of what he's saying. And so, and so then Jesus talks about um, uh, prayer and fasting and then he talks about money. He spends a whole section because almsgiving was huge, prayer was huge, um, uh, uh, public prayer was huge, almsgiving was huge, fasting was huge. And so he talks about these three um, kind of uh, big pieces of Jewish piety and he get, he provides the counter to what the Pharisees were doing. Now, we can keep going, but I think the general point is simply this the pharisees were uh, jesus was most like them in, in terms of um his theology G- the pharisees believed in resurrection jesus believed in resurrection the pharisees believed uh in the miraculous uh, jesus believed obviously in the miraculous um the pharisees were were master students of the text jesus was a master student of the text so so part of the reason why they bump into each other so much is because they're a lot alike And the Pharisees, in their zeal uh, to keep uh, Israel pure, would have seen Jesus in in a bunch of ways, but in a couple specifically. Number one, in his disregarding of their fences. So he gets into trouble all the time for touching lepers, being touched by sinners, um, healing on the Sabbath. I mean, being close to women, being close to, I mean, the whole, I mean, he's running afoul of their fences all the time. But he's also at the same time critiquing them in very deep and significant ways and presenting an alternative vision of what it meant to be the people of God, which is what? Love of God, love of neighbor. It wasn't burdened down by thousands of commandments. It wasn't the corrupt um, the, the corrupt elite of, of the temple complex fleecing the poor of Israel. It wasn't, it wasn't the boasting that, well, I haven't murdered today, so I fulfilled the, the commandments of God. I mean, no, it was an entirely different vision. And the vision was based on the revelation uh, that Jesus himself says, you, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It wasn't just that Jesus came to reveal the heart of God for the law, he came to reveal God. <laughs> the yeah. God who gave the law. Yeah. So Jesus is what it looks like when God's will is done on earth. That's why I have no problem um, saying there are bits and pieces of the Old Testament that I'm absolutely uncomfortable with, that I don't understand. I don't get how they fit. I don't think they show off the beautiful God that's revealed in Jesus. I don't understand them. So there are options with, what. okay, what do you do? And this this is worthy of another podcast at some point. What do you do with the ugly pieces of the Old Testament? Some people say some people ignore them. Um, other people say that they are the record of Israel's interpretation of God, not of God Himself. Hmm. So that that's an interesting nuance. Yeah, that's an that, interesting, yeah. Well, twist on it. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it leads it leads to some some pretty sketchy places, though, because uh, then then and what other firm fo- foundation can you say? Um, that the whole thing isn't just uh, the, yeah. the interpretation uh, of of it, and maybe you do, um, or you could say, listen, and there are lots of lots of books written this way. the The God of the Old Testament isn't barbaric as barbaric as we thought. Like a Paul Copan, C O P A N, Copan Copen, uh, wrote a book called "Is God a Moral Monster." in response to the atheists uh, that uh, godless mentioned and, and there in that book he he softens some of what we find so offensive uh in some of the the or some of the uh, the practices or the teachings of the old testament and so there's some good stuff there uh, for me the better the better idea is that that god always incarnates himself in culture and he moves it along slowly and because that just seems to be what's happened, right? So, so Jesus, you know, for instance, uh, and this will, will end here. Um, Jesus is asked about divorce. Divorce for any and every reason. And, and this was a very technical rabbinical discussion. There were two uh, primary rabbinical schools of thought. Um, there was a command in Deuteronomy that said, as long as you write a certificate of divorce, uh, a man can divorce his wife. And uh, attached to that divorce was a stipulation um, that said a man can divorce his wife if if he finds something indecent in her. And and the big debate in Jesus's day was, um, well, what counts as indecent, right? Now, when that law was given, it was revolutionary. Why? Because a woman now had legal reason for being alone, not moral reason. In other, in other words, a, a divorced woman was typically thought to be um, sinful, um, uh, trash, property. You know, just open to abuse. To give a woman a certificate of divorce was a legal document explaining. Um, her status now, not as someone who was immoral, but as status now in the community as somebody who'd been put away by a husband. But that actually gave her, that gave her some protection that she wouldn't have had otherwise. All right, uh, we can get more into that someday if we'd like. The big point, though, is Jesus gets brought into the first century discussion, which is, hey, um, something indecent. One group of uh, of rabbis taught that something indecent could include burnt a burnt meal. Um, Uh, another school of thought said, no, no, it has to be something immoral. So Jesus jumps into this and he says, um, and and it's this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful picture later in the book of Matthew. He's asked about it in Matthew 19. Let me, let me flip there. So I get it right. Um, Jesus is brought into this and he says, haven't you read? So some Pharisees, so it's the Pharisees, all right, come to test Jesus. Is it law for, for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? So is it, is, which, which school of thought, Jesus, do you belong to? The one that says any and every reason is really any and every reason, or do you take the more conservative view? Haven't you read, Jesus replies, that at the beginning, the creator made the male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So Jesus just quotes Genesis and he says it. Haven't you read? (laughs) It's it's just absolutely genius. Mm -hmm. Why then, the Pharisee said, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away if god's intent was that they would be together for a lifetime then why did moses command that, that we give her a certificate when we send her away oh and then this this is so big moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you. Now, do you see what Jesus is doing? He's setting himself in the place of Moses. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another woman commits adultery. This was so scandalous. The disciples said, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it's better not to marry at all. (laughs) That's how common divorce was. Right? Mm -hmm. So do you see what Jesus has done? What Jesus has done is said, listen, God's heart was revealed at the very beginning. But because the hearts of people were hard, God permitted divorce so that women would be protected. But I tell you, now is the definitive revealer of God's heart regarding the law, that was never his intention. Mm-hmm. Now, oh my goodness. Do you see what Jesus has just opened up? Jesus has just opened up the possibility that that God is moving incrementally. He's moving humanity incrementally along um, and he's ahead of them by just a couple of steps. Now we know he's ahead of them by way more than that right He's ahead of us far beyond what way he's more beautiful, more more holy, He's good, blah 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 blah. But the way he's engaging in culture is very incarnational. He's taking on the flesh and blood of the world that his people find themselves in, and he's moving them along. Um, and uh, and so that's the that's so so I see I see some of the, the the bits and pieces of Old Testament teaching that I'm I'm super uncomfortable with. My my responses are along the lines of a um, if they contradict the picture of. that that is given to us in Jesus, then I I view those pictures as partial and incomplete. Mm -hmm. They're only revealing one part of God's character, not the full part. Mm -hmm. Secondly, I think it is possible that um, Israel, as it edited the Old Testament, um, made itself look better than what it was originally. And you can see this when you compare First um, and Second Samuel with First and Second Chronicles. So, First and Second Samuel we think was written before the exile. First and Second Chronicles was written after the exile. And when you compare pieces of the life of David, <laughs> David gets cleaned up in uh, in Chronicles. And and so so it could be, for instance, one of the things that that uh, the people of Israel say is that they've totally destroyed every Canaanite in the land. And yet you read a couple of chapters later that there's are still Canaanites in the land. Yeah. And so, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, how much of that is just the boasting of, I don't know. Of, of humans versus... Yeah, right, my, but recorded. my point is, if if it's possible to misunderstand Jesus after 2,000 years of, of being away from culture, well, how much more 3,000 or 3,500 mm-hmm. years for some of the Old Testament stuff? Mm-hmm. So I'm not prepared to condemn it on the basis of a 21st century understanding of morality what i'm what i'm interested in is what what was common in the day what was revolutionary for the time uh how was it so like for instance when paul says uh wives submit to your husbands well no duh that was what they were there for the the revolutionary part was husbands love your wives in roman culture (laughs) because he's writing to ephesus in roman culture husbands owed nothing to their wives except food shelter and the opportunity to bear biological children that was it they had courtesans they had prostitutes i mean man the last thing the last thing they owed was love and so when paul writes more verses to husbands about loving your wife as you love yourself that what was revolu that's what was revolutionary submit mm-hmm. to your wife I mean, wives wife submit to your husband well that uh, yeah that's what, what they did mm-hmm. so in, in every in every instance i've come across there was a stepping forward, a calling forward of human beings into what God's original heart was for them. Mm-hmm. All right? Mm-hmm. Now, that raises a zillion other questions. So what about homosexuality? What about slavery? What about, you know, da, 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 da. I mean, we could, we could spend a field day, like the Bible doesn't seem ahead of culture on homosexuality. It seems behind culture on homosexuality. Mm-hmm. It didn't seem ahead of culture in slavery because look at all the Christians that use the Bible to justify slavery. Yeah. So, so again, this is not in any way, shape or form, a definitive word. This is if, if Godless and I were sitting in a bar and he let me talk for 45 minutes, which I don't think would ever happen, um, nor I him. This is what
1: you would say if that opportunity actually presented itself. So. Yes, this isn't
0: I'm not, this is <laughs> yeah. a scholarly presentation. This isn't an academic critique. This is, you know, I think some of what Godless was saying and some of what uh, this Iron Chariots thing, I think they were based on misunderstanding what fundamentally what Jesus was doing in his Jewish context. Mm-hmm. All right.
1: I think that, and, and for, and just as a, a fair response to that, with a lot of messages and other sermons I've heard in the same thing seem also grossly misinterpreted alongside that too. And it's Christians saying it. Well, sure. You know, so it's, it's well, just, sure. I mean, and, and, and
0: Yes. So, yes. And we do that all the time. Yeah. yeah you know, um, yeah. I mean, there's so many, so many it, examples. so many. But, but we're not saying, please don't hear, because the very easy thing is, hey, we've got the right, we've got the right interpretation and all other interpretations are wrong. No, no, no. We're just saying learning the culture uh, of, and respecting Jesus' Jewishness is absolutely fundamental to understanding Jesus. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to critique Jesus, then we've got to put him back in his Jewish context. Don't critique the Christian version of Jesus or the church version of yeah. Jesus. Critique the Jewish version of Jesus because that's how he came. Now, an objection could be made. Well, we can't because the church got a hold of him and christianized him so godless could say hey matthew mark luke and john don't even give us the jewish jesus um and and that would be but that's a different objection to the one initially we were talking about right sure so again this can go back and forth for for years this can go back and and forth for decades that's why there there is no definitive last word other than um for those of us who are disciples and followers of this jesus uh, there is a sense that the Bible is clear <laughs> in some of its big points, but is really open to misunderstanding if it's not read in its proper context. Mm-hmm. And uh, for those of you considering the Bible or object to the Bible or whatever, man, if, if I ripped it out of its context, I'd object to it too. Um, because uh, you you can make the thing say anything you want. I mean, you can make it contradict itself. You can make it you can make it do whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so anyway, again, I, I'm not I don't live or die by whether or not the the Bible's infallible. We had a whole podcast on that. I prefer to call it inspired. Um, but that then just raises the question, well, is Harry Potter inspired too? <laughs> so a couple of uh, thoughts as we as we go. First of all, we have two podcasts. One is this one, and then another one is called the Vox Community Podcast. And that one is found at voxoc.com or on iTunes if you type in Vox Community. And that's our little church. Um, we have this, uh, we're, we're trying to, form a community around all the things we talk about in the podcast we've got um, a couple hundred people who are joining us for the adventure and it's really fun because um, some of these folks are Jesus followers and some of them are not and some of them are really in process and have been hurt and some of them it's just it really it's, uh, it's absolutely fascinating we're learning so much um, but if you want to record a little bit of something that's a little more like teachy about Jesus I mean, that's That's where you could go. Mm -hmm. The other thing is we're so grateful for anything you do on iTunes. Um, for us, um, many of you have liked the podcast. You've rated it. Many of you have left comments. We read all of those. We're so very grateful for them. We really do, um, and we are very grateful for them. And the and the reason is it just gets us noticed by iTunes. And and as you know, the goal for us is world domination. So <laughs> so it, we can't take over the world unless we've taken over iTunes. That's that's the first that's the first right. piece. And now
1: we're chasing Harry the Harry Potter
0: one. Now so. we're chasing Harry Potter. So. <laughs> So I'm going to I'm going to go buy um a harlequin uh, romance. Do they even make those anymore like a romance novel, one of these sappy like romance novels? I
1: wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if there's a comeback now with like Stranger Things on Netflix with like a, uh, What is Stranger Things? What oh, is that? Yeah, it's 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 an incredible like hom- uh, homage to like 80s horror suspense films and Ooh. it's a new series and it's Ooh. like it's like and it's like kids, like in the exploration of this thing that's happening.
0: And oh, I, I think you would love. So it. it's a so it's a recent. It's a recent. Yeah, it's series? a new
1: film made by new directors, and they they shoot it like the same way you know Super Eight was made a few years ago. Yes, it's basically a, a, an homage in a TV series. Ooh, good or, use of homage. Yeah, twice to, to do that.
0: Yes, You're yes. Thank you. Now you know. Now the world knows. <laughs> so so um, but I want to find. I want to just find like. No, we're still talking. Thanks, Mama. Yeah, no, we're still talking. We're still recording. Yep, yep. Thank you.
1: Sorry, it, it wouldn't be a real yeah episode. Without, without without a justy, yeah. justy interruption.
0: <laughs> you haven't called in forever. That's okay. We love you. We love you. Did you say come upstairs? Because I'm gonna and make out. Is that what you just said to me? No. Did you say come upstairs? <laughs> Did you say... Earmuffs. <laughs> Hannah B. All right. Um, so what were we talking about before we were so rudely? I was talking about Stranger Things. Oh, yes. Um, uh, and we've gotten on the Stranger Things because... Of the uh, Harry Potter oh, world yes. domination. Okay. So yeah, yeah. I want to I get like an old romance novel. Yeah. And... Um, and let's read it as sacred text. OK, and let's just see what happens. Okay. Or Or sacred sex. Oh. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, oh, yeah, that's all I got. <laughs> how long How long are we?: Hey, we're at an hour and five minutes. Oh my goodness, dude. dang it. Every time I think this will be a short one. No, see, it's every time we talk about Jesus. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> so anything you want to add to this whole thing? I like this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> now hey, do you want to let people know you've been nominated for
1: No, because it won't it's it's done by now. By the oh, okay. time it's comes out, it's done. Okay. It doesn't matter.
0: All right. Andy was nominated uh to be a year-long recipient of what coffee?
1: Uh Bear Coast Coffee.
0: Bear Coast Coffee. And if you don't know where Bear Coast is, there's North Coast and South Coast and East Coast <laughs> and West Coast, and then there's Bear Coast. That's right. And um and so Andy put out uh he was nominated on social media. And then, uh, so we're going to do a podcast on why I cannot, in good conscience, vote for Andy, and it's a lot of the same reasons I can't vote for Trump. So uh, we'll do that one next. Okay, good. Um, uh, <laughs>
1: Which will just be a pro Hillary podcast, <laughs> oh, of course. Because any, if you're not for Trump, <laughs> you're, not for you're, Trump you're clearly for Hillary.
0: Yes, clearly. And you want our country to be destroyed. All right, uh, we, let's uh, let's close up shop here, Andy. An hour. <laughs> All right, Godless, we're done. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts host a pint in our honor some Irish pub uh, while we uh, drink Bear Coast coffee in (laughs) hopes of getting a year long supply All right, may the Lord bless you and keep you may the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you may the Lord lift up his countenance to you and may he give you peace today uh, and tomorrow and the next day after that so we love you we're grateful for you thanks for tuning in
1: Thanks for listening to Vox, the Mike Erie podcast. Be sure to like Mike on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash official Mike Erie. Follow Mike on Twitter and Periscope at Mike Erie for live interaction and ongoing QA. Don't forget to visit SubversiveKingdom.com for further engagement
0: and information about Mike.